This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the Inspirational, Informational, and Transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. Today, I help you understand why some airline crew members' incomes will increase during a downturn. Well, before we begin, just a couple of announcements. If you have any questions, comments, or inspirational stories, please write us at feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. You can also click on the contact page. Also, you can search our previous episodes by typing in your question or topic in the search bar to the right-hand column. You can also search our extensive past episodes page uh, by clicking on past episodes. It's really that simple. A lot of times your question has been answered before, or maybe you have a different angle on the question, so please write us a feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com with your question. Also, the current online scholarships guide includes 38 new scholarships and 10 updates Uh, We also have a new index uh, in the scholarships guide, so you can search better. That was a great uh, suggestion by one of our listeners. And we also have the new uh, scholarships for adults category. To find out more, visit uh, aviationcareerspodcast.com slash scholarships. Uh, Click on the scholarships tab on aviationcareerspodcast.com. It's another way you can find that. And uh, one of the things that we do is we have a thing called the Pay It Forward campaign. So if you use a coupon code, pay it forward, all one word, then you might get a free scholarships guide. If you want to find out more, obviously, if you want to help donate to somebody's future, go to pay it forward on the, on the tab there. Also, another thing, another announcement is that we are this year in the 2020 and also 2021, a proud sponsor of the Women's Air Race Classic for 2020. Uh, this is the only women's air race in the United States, and you can actually find it at airraceclassic.org. In a past episode, we've had people on to talk about the Air Race Classic, so I really encourage you to go check that out. It's uh, it's a really it's an amazingly long race, uh, and it has a storied history, which I think you should you know what go out and check that out and read a little bit about it. We're gonna actually have somebody come on. Uh, the show to talk about the Air Race Classic. So uh, stay tuned for that. If we do put it on Stuck Mike, I'll let you know if it's over there. Another thing that we started doing, I'd love to get your feedback on, is the pilot interview course that we are still developing. What we've been doing is putting one video out every week. It's a question from the pilot interview course, things like, you know, airspeed limitations and 3585, those kind of things. And they're really short videos, about five, ten minutes long, and they explain that question. And we try to do it in the format of an interview. There's a pilot interview course for everybody from Part 121, 135, uh, 91. Obviously, certain questions, the Part 121 question, only apply to those, but uh, they will help you out. All different levels. Some may be a little bit advanced for the interview that you're looking at right now. Say it's for a flight instructor job, but it's good information to know for your career in the future. Anyway, let's move on to the show. And this show, I wanted to concentrate on uh, what crew members, what they do during furlough and why crew members who remain after furlough and downsizing actually can increase their income during furlough. This is something that's pretty interesting. A lot of people don't realize this, that a lot of the folks that are left behind, and I know that there's some decreases in income for many people, and there's pay cuts, etc., 
but there's many opportunities to make more money. And as a matter of fact, this happened to me during one of the furloughs is that I wound up making more money for some of these reasons. Uh, but for those of people that got furloughed, et cetera, obviously they're out of a job. And also for people that took pay cuts, the opportunities aren't always there. But let me explain why some airline crew members actually increase their income during a downturn. This is really interesting. So first of all, some of them are real simple concepts. First of all, there's going to be less pilots during a furlough, unless uh, crew members as far as flight attendants, et cetera, during a furlough. And this can apply, again, to mechanics and, and other people around the company. So the companies are doing less with more. So less pilots flying, that means more hours. That means you're going to work more hours. So you're going to make more money because you're getting paid by the hour. Sounds simple, and, and it's actually brings up a really good question from a lot of people. Then why do they furlough? Well, there's a lot of uh, mitigation that goes on. We've talked about that before where people will take time off for short periods of time where it's either paid or unpaid, which helps other people that need to work to actually work. Because remember, there are a lot of people out there that are closer to retirement like myself who uh, have saved up for these type of events who want to take time off. I actually, as, a, as an example, I haven't flown in about two and a half, uh, three months in a big plane. I've been flying little planes, but not in a, an airline. And I'm one of those people that said, okay, I'm going to take some time off so other people will have a chance to actually go fly. I've also done this in the past where uh, I've negotiated, because I was a furlough rep for the Airline Pilots Association, negotiated with the airline I was doing work for, and said, hey, can we go down to 20-hour lines? In other words, you only fly 20 hours. That gives other people an opportunity to actually make more money. Now, why does why would the company be interested in doing that? It doesn't make sense to some people. First of all, uh, it actually, if they let people go out on a, a furlough or if they go out on unpaid leaves or even a paid leave, it, it makes some sense. And, and this is why it costs money to have each person employed. And when they're on furlough, you're not paying many of their benefits. Some furloughs, I understand, uh, in the beginning, you'll get a certain amount of benefits. But if you're, say, if they do layoffs, et cetera, those people aren't receiving benefits. And also, uh, benefits don't usually last forever. Uh, usually last either a certain number of months, or it could last the entire furlough, depending on the agreement. Again, you have to look at your contract and your employment agreement for that. So what this does, it gives the company an opportunity to have less people employed but doing a similar amount of work. Uh, so, for instance, if you have one person doing 25% more work, then there's, you know, out of four people, that's one extra person they don't have to have hired. And there's costs that are involved with hiring somebody. For those of you that have owned a business and like myself where you pay uh, all these different benefits because of Social Security, uh, insurance, and all disability, and also uh, contributing to someone's 401k. These are all different things that are costs that are incurred by the employer. And those are costs that aren't incurred because they have one less person. There's less people that they have to pay out uh, for those benefits. Plus, uh, when someone actually works extra hours, that makes one less person or a quarter less person, shall we say, in our case, in our example, that they have to hire. So it does reduce some of their costs because uh, each individual that there's a cost to employ each person. Uh, there's costs in administration, et cetera. So that brings that cost down for the employer. It also 
allows certain people that are still working to make some more money. And that's actually a, a big benefit for certain people that want to make some extra cash. Uh, so again, there's less pilots flying more hours. And it's all about the block hours. I know we talk about days and stuff like that. Uh, a big important thing to understand is that block hours are the most important thing. By that meaning, how many hours are you actually flying or deadheading, et cetera? It's all about the block hours. That's how we determine how many pilots we usually need. Uh, so again, less, less pilots, fly more hours. Also, another opportunity for those of the people that remain after a furlough or, um, and I'm just going to say furlough. Furlough, when I say furlough, it's going to encompass everything from layoffs, leaves of absence, voluntary leaves, et cetera. Uh, furloughs uh, normally are involuntary leaves when you're being furloughed without uh, your input. That's an involuntary leave. So I'm going to just talk about furloughs in general. And that'll encompass all those different scenarios. Another thing that you get during a furlough as a pilot that's still online is income overrides. And, and what is that? So for instance, many contracts will say that if you are willing to work on your day off or say we're going to emergency assign you, in other words, we really need you to do this trip, uh, we'll pay you time and a half, double time. In some cases, people even get triple time. And it happens in the normal course of an airline, right? There's certain things that just happen. You know, planes break, weather happens, uh, people are not in position, and they need someone to help out. And they'll call up people on their day off and say, hey, listen, if you want to come into work, we'll pay you 10 hours to do a two and a half hour flight. Well, you know, a lot of people are going to jump on that, that opportunity. And also there's opportunities with most of these airlines where they have a system that displays all the trips, in other words, all the flights that aren't covered by the pilot, by a first officer, a pilot, flight attendant, and people can pick those up to incentivize people to pick up those hours as it gets closer and closer to the trip and they don't have someone to fly it, they'll actually pay overrides and incentivize people to come in to work those trips, either time and a half, double time, like I said. So again, those are income overrides, and that's one way that you know, even out of default, and I'm the kind of person that loves time off. And I take, I fly very little compared to many of the people that I work with, because I have a lot of hobbies and I love doing the podcast and helping people move forward in the career. Well, there's a lot of opportunity there for someone like myself, because I have so many days off. Uh, typically, you know, you get about 15 days off, you may go down to less days off. There's people, I, I've seen it, people that actually work every single day. They'll volunteer for other income overrides, not necessarily flying. So what does that mean? Well, also another thing that happens is when you're on reserve, um, or excuse me, when the company needs more reserve pilots, those are people that are standby, uh, waiting to get called if a trip pops up into open time or a trip pops up where they need someone to fly it right away. Someone gets sick. There's a, again, there's many different scenarios, uh, a plane diverts, et cetera. They'll call that person, and what they'll do is they'll ask for volunteers to do that, to be on call on their day off. Many times when that happens, you'll get some extra pay for being on call for that day. And if you do get called in many contracts, you'll actually get paid extra pay. So this is, and by the way, some of these things I'm talking about are also how many people make extra income during the, the normal operating procedures, not just on furlough. But when someone comes in and works on their day off and their incentive, get that incentive pay, that also increases uh, their income and in that you get that override. And, and trust me, being somebody who's, who is senior on a, on a list 
And you just, you really realize how blessed you are and lucky you are to have those opportunities to make that extra money. And sometimes, you know, when you are that senior, like myself, I like to give back and that's why I take a lot of time off. Believe me, I want to go fly. I mean, I'd rather be flying right now. Uh, other than talking to you guys, of course, I love I love this too. This is probably almost equal to the flying. It just inspires me so much to see so many people moving forward in their careers. Uh, but again, on that point, income overrides, many ways to get in, income overrides. Again, time and a half uh, and double time, either for picking up trips that they need to cover uh, or by picking up overtime for reserve status. In other words, we're going to put you on reserve because we're short of reserve pilots so that you're available. So in case we do have somebody that we need to fly an airplane, you will call you and you come right into work. So that's one way. Another way, and by the way, all these things I'm talking about also can be negatives in some people's views. Also, another thing is more holiday pay. A lot of airlines, most airlines, give you holiday pay. And there are certain holidays that you might get, say, double pay or time and a half for those holidays. And because of the fact that there's less people and you've actually moved down the seniority list from a relative standpoint. Uh, so, for instance, say there's 2,000 pilots and, and then they, they furlough 500, you know, and you're right in the middle. Now you're towards the bottom now. So you're actually somebody who uh, you'll actually probably be working holidays more. And holidays, a lot of times, give you incentive pay for holidays. And that's a wonderful thing for certain people. Say there's a certain holiday that you want to work or, you know, you're, you commuted into work and you want to, you know, work that holiday because you're not going to be with your family anyway during that holiday. So you might as well work that holiday and get some holiday pay. You know, one of the cool things, by the way, is really cool about holiday pay. And this is something a lot of folks do, and this is what I do, is I try to do overnights on the holidays in cities or have family or friends. So all of a sudden you're getting double pay and visiting a city with your family or friends on that holiday. It's the coolest thing. And, I, and I've done that for Memorial Day, Labor Day, uh, July 4th, all sorts of different holidays where I actually get to uh, spend it in a city. I did it for Thanksgiving. I was real junior once and I actually was able to spend Thanksgiving with a friend. It was absolutely wonderful. I've talked about that in a past episode where uh, here I am making holiday pay and I'm spending it with the captain's family in the city. And it was like, I was part of the family. It was absolutely amazing. So uh, again, there's some shining lights in the scenarios, right? For those people that are still working. Also, as far as pay, extra pay, besides holiday pay, we're working more days. Uh, there's more days that we're going to have to work. And uh, this goes along a little bit with the more hours that you're flying, but you're also working more days. So, the days mean is this, and that if you go and fly just one leg, a lot of times there's minimum pay for that day. Uh, a good example is this. Say you do a, uh, I don't know, a flight from New York to Florida. That's a big route. New York to Florida. And that's your only leg for that day. That's an extra day you say you're working uh, because it was put on your schedule, et cetera. But you usually get a minimum amount of pay for that. Um, so it, this, you're not flying any more hours, but say it's a two and a half hour flight. Say, let's say it's two and a half hours and your airline pays a minimum of six hours for that day. You're getting paid six hours for that two and a half hour flight. Cause you get a minimum pay per calendar day, et cetera. 
again, this is something I've done at multiple airlines that I've worked for, is it's nice to get those trips where you're just doing one short leg because you're getting a minimum pay per day. And you have to really read your contract to understand what that minimum pay is because it can turn out that it doesn't work out well for you depending on your contract. But again, you're working more days, you're getting more pay because you're working more days because of the fact that you're getting a minimum number of hours. Along with that working more days, is you're doing a lot more deadheads. That's another thing that comes up during a downturn is deadhead pay. And deadhead pay, this is going to sound kind of strange, but, (laughs) uh, well, it happened to me on my last trip. Most of my time, I didn't even land an airplane on the last trip I flew. Think about that. I didn't even land an airplane on my last trip, and I flew for two days. So how in the world did that happen? Well, I had a, a trip where... I flew up to New York. The captain actually flew that leg. We deadheaded to another city. And then from that city, we flew to two more cities, When the last one being my home and my base. So there's four legs. I didn't fly any of those legs, but I actually was deadheading on two of those legs. So when I got to, to New York, deadheaded to another city, and then flew to another city, and then deadheaded back home. So I'm getting all that deadhead pay. There's many trips out there that start with a deadhead, and this actually is an opportunity for many people. A lot of folks turn out um, they can get a deadhead to the city they live in. And there's, again, another thing that I used to do is I you know, had family that was in a certain city like Newark. I had family in Newark when I wasn't based in Newark. I would actually get a trip that started with a deadhead to Newark, and I would just go up and hang out with my family, and then I would make the deadhead pay and also have the opportunity to stay there and hang out. So again, a big opportunity during these downturns is deadhead pay. You see more deadhead pay for another reason is having to reposition flights. Because remember, during a, a crisis, any crisis, they're going to have to adjust schedules. And when they adjust schedules, um, all of a sudden they have an open segment or you're in a city where they have to get you back home. So, of course, they're going to have to deadhead you home. Deadhead pay in most airlines is uh, the same amount as if you're flying. So you get the same amount of pay for flying. Uh, this isn't always true. There are contracts where you don't make the same amount of pay. A good example is uh, I've been in airlines where the flight attendants will make, say, half time while they're deadheading, uh, and the pilots will make full time, or vice versa, you know, those type of things. So you have to really make sure that uh, you look at your contract to see how much you'll make. But again, there's another situation where you make more money. Another one, and this is kind of obvious, is that since there's less people flying and there's a lot of schedules that are in flux and we have people on furlough, reduced lines, et cetera. When the schedules do change, and this happens because it is hard for companies to plan right now, that there's actually more flying that's placed into the system so that they can, say, fly a trip that they didn't realize you can make money with. Uh, say there's a, you know, I keep talking about New York, Florida. That's a big route that a lot of airlines fly. Uh, that's a, a kind of a moneymaker, but it's also, you know, it's, we're looking at leisure travel coming back from those uh, to, to Florida and that type of thing. So say there's an extra trip that pops out there into open time because a company didn't realize that they were going to put that in the schedule. So now it's in the schedule. So what's going to happen? You can go out and pick up that trip. So this is another one. You're picking up more trips. So it's a little different than flying more hours. You're flying more hours uh, when I talked about in the beginning because, you know, that's just the way the trips have been built. 
Now you have the ability to pick up more trips uh, on your time off or when other people are possibly on furlough, et cetera. Um, does this change anything as far as the number of people coming back from furlough? Uh, not so much. I mean, it can. It depends on how much they're doing it. I mean, some airlines, uh, they'll push it to a, a, a limit where, yeah, we do need to bring back more people. But remember I talked about that other scenario where people were working, like myself, working part-time or doing what's called no-fly lines or 20-hour lines, et cetera? They, they now have a scalable workforce because – what they can do is say that, you know, they come into those situations where there's extra trips out there, and those extra trips can be covered by those people that are flying 20-hour lines, depending on the contract. Some contracts will say that you can't work, say, more than 20 hours or more than 50 hours, whatever it may be, but many of them will allow those trips to be picked up either by people that are flying the line currently or by other folks that are doing those part-time uh, flying. So, again, by decreasing those line values down to, say, 50 or 20, it also decreases the number of furloughs. Uh, at some point, though, when flying comes back, there's, uh, you know, there's a point of no return. They're going to have to start bringing people back to a full-time status. It usually starts with those people that took the temporary leaves and then goes on to those people on long-term, like on furlough, that type of thing. So again, there's many ways to make more money for those crew members and understanding why some airline crew members uh, actually their income increases during a downturn or for these many different reasons. You know, there's less pilots flying more hours and less crew members flying more hours because they may making the schedules that way. There's more income overrides because the situations happen where, you know, they need someone to do an extra trip, an emergency assignment, that type of thing. Um, and those, those happen. You know, there's also the opportunity to make more money because you're going to be flying more holidays you know, because now there's less pilots or flight attendants on the list. So you're actually going to fly more holidays. You're also working more days. There's usually minimum pay per day. So you're making more money because of the minimum pay per day. There's many opportunities for deadheads. And then, of course, the, the simple one is picking up trips out of uh, what's called open time. Most airlines call it open time uh, or within the trade boards, et cetera. There's just so many ways that people make so much more money during a downturn or a furlough. So hopefully that explains why some airline crew members' income increases during a downturn. We actually increase during a downturn. This actually happened with me. Uh, even I'm, And I'm the kind of person that tries to take as many days off as possible. I was very senior on a list uh, right after a downturn. And it was the last downturn. And then I was actually uh, making more money and went on to a major airline that was during a regional. And I was making less at the major uh, for a little while because of the fact I was making so much at the regional with the overtime and the overrides, uh, that type of thing. It is, uh, it's interesting and it's a big debate amongst people. You know, maybe we should bring back more folks as far as flying concerned. That does happen. I mean, you know, having been someone that negotiated these contracts for many, many years for people on furlough and we found that there is that point where, yeah, we got to start covering uh, these flights because the worst thing I mean, an airline can do is actually have trips that aren't covered and they have to cancel. That doesn't help them. So they do really want to bring back more people uh, when the furloughs end. Another thing that this does is during those periods, like in the summertime when uh, flying does increase, it actually helps them a little when they have these uh, a workforce that's scalable, like I said, with the 20, 30, 40, 50 hour lines. So it's kind of interesting to see how pilots and flight tents can actually make extra money during a downturn or a furlough. So hopefully that was a good explanation. 
Tell you what, what we're going to do now is move on to a couple of emails. And uh, again, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. You can click on uh, the feedback or contact on the website. Really easy way to get in touch with us. Also, if you have uh, inspirational stories, we'd love to hear from you. Some of these emails, by the way, if you hear your email read, it's kind of out of order because we pull our questions from everywhere on the internet, from uh, the YouTube channel. We pull them from uh, many different spots, say uh, Facebook and Twitter, and uh, of course, feedback at Aviation Cares Podcast. Uh, so they sometimes can be a little bit out of order. So if you're wondering why yours wasn't read, that's why. Uh, but anyway, let's move on to the first question. It says, thank you for the podcast. I've been listening to them now for a few weeks. They really have caught my attention. And I'm only a few days away to have listened to all of them. Um, and by the way, let me let me pause there for a second. As far as listening to all of them, one of the things that we found out, someone brought this up, is that if you're listening through iTunes, in our feed, in other words, the, the thing that puts out all the different podcasts, I only had 150 of them out there. So I upped the number to 300. We have 283 episodes. You actually can now see all those episodes in iTunes, and I apologize for that. That was a, I, we just got so busy growing the podcast, we forgot to actually add the number of podcasts out there because every time uh, you kind of have to up the number, uh, maximum number. We're up to a maximum of 300. I probably should up that now because we're almost at 283, almost at 300. So, uh, so yes, you can look back at all the episodes. You may or may not have heard them all, so you might want to check it out. But a good way to do that is go to our past episodes. And I know there is a is a problem with a couple of the links on those, uh, but they all do work in iTunes and Miro Stitcher and all the other ones out there. Whatever your pad catcher may be, you'll see those extra episodes out there. I highly recommend going uh, back and seeing some of those episodes. A lot of this material is the same, whether it was five years ago, etc. Anyway, he continues. Uh, he says, I am a student pilot with 10 hours towards my private pilot, and I have a second-class medical. I have a bachelor's degree, and I'm pursuing an MBA in aviation. However, I'd rather be flying. I'm aware of a scholarships guide that you uh, have to order online. I was wondering if you're aware of any program or resources that will co-sign for school loan for flight training. Uh, I've already used my FAFSA government loans towards my undergraduate degree and towards my two semesters of university flight training. I've looked at many options, but it seems that a student loan is the most convenient means to get to the airlines. I found a flying club near where I live where I could get my training for under $40,000. I expect to gain the remaining hours at, to 1500 as a CFI. I really appreciate any comments on this email regarding where I could find someone willing to sign a student loan. Thank you. So, um, interesting question. It's something that's somewhat new. Um, well, Obviously, cosigning is not something new. Yeah, if you can find somebody that's going to cosign for a loan, that's in general, uh, they'll cosign for a loan. And uh, the one thing that you have to be careful of as far as the person that's cosigning, you're cosigning for life. I mean, you're going to be responsible for that loan for a long time. So some people are very reticent to cosign. And I, you know, of course, you hear some of the financial boards and stuff. Some people say never co-sign. That's not always true. Just realize what what you're getting into when you do co-sign. For a loan on a house, a car, you co-sign on someone's education. It's going to be for life. You're going to be paying that off. could be for, for a decade or more. Uh, so that's, that's one of the reasons people are reticent. One of the things that is happening now, and I won't say that I, I have all this expertise and I'm not going to because of the fact that some of these aren't really published also, I can't really talk about some of them, but there are they are out there. There are some schools and there are opportunities to get a cosign for a loan. They're somewhat rare and they're usually for 
people that are going through university programs, although there are some other co-signing. And I, I kind of almost hate to mention this, uh, but it is out there, and that's why I'm mentioning it. It's just not that many out there. And the more we get, the more I'll talk about it. Um, there might be limitations on those co-signing of the loans, et cetera. Uh, we, uh, you know, again, what we'll have to do is do a little more research on this. There were some instances in the past, and this is, I guess the reason I'm a little reticent to talk a lot about them now, um, where, and talking about past, I'm talking about many years ago, where certain schools were signing people on to loans for flight training. And because uh, it wasn't considered, say, an academic type of environment, when that school went out of business, they actually kept the money and the person was still on the hook for the loan. Uh, so, uh, you know, the person that co-signs that loan uh, has to make sure that what they're doing is is legitimate and uh, what they're doing is getting involved with something for life. Now, in the case of what I'm talking about with people that uh, companies that were co-signing for a loan, uh, what was happening is they would co-sign for the loan, but that company that co-signed or sponsored that loan went out of business or went bankrupt and uh, all that money was gone. And uh, there's some people that were uh, some nefarious individuals that would go out there and start other businesses after going bankrupt. And that's why some of these loans you have to really look into and make sure that uh, they are done properly. I'm not saying that the ones that are out there aren't. I'm just saying be careful out there uh, because they are uh, there are some people out there that can take advantage of the situation. Um, but yes, there are people that can co-sign. There are companies or individuals that will co-sign for a loan. I would highly recommend that plus scholarships. There are some scholarships out there and resources uh, more and more every day. Uh, I think I mentioned we got to 57 million of counted scholarships and we've only gone through a quarter of all the scholarships in the guide. So I'm sure there's a lot more in there. One of the things that I, I always tell people is that if you can, try to keep going with your, your career. And if you have to take a short loan that's a high interest rate, yeah, that's fine. Uh, but the one thing that can be very difficult is if you wind up getting in a situation where you have a very high interest rate loan and you can't pay that back. A lot of times the loans that are associated with universities, they're uh, you know a little more flexible, et cetera. So one thing I really want to caution you about is uh, how you get involved with these loans and have someone look at it, have someone else take a peek at it. But uh, anyway, so again, hopefully in the future, we'll hear some more about that. Anyway, moving on to the next question. By the way, thanks for that question. Um, next question says, hi, and thank you for what you do and your time on this question. I'm 61 years old and looking to get my private pilot in IFR and CFI so that I can eventually do aerobatics and teach. Is it even possible for a scholarship at my age? Enjoying the podcast. Thanks. Uh, appreciate that. Yes, there are scholarships for someone your age. And you talked about, by the way, aerobatics. So let's look at two things. Number one, your private pilot instrument, CFI, etc. And then we'll look at aerobatics. So if your goal is to become an aerobatic pilot, there are scholarships for aerobatic pilots. Notice, though, that many times you have to be part of an organization or those scholarships are ones that are for people that have already done a little bit of training in the aerobatics or they're looking at teaching aerobatics in the future. And those are the kind of people that they're looking towards. So put that as a goal in your mind that you want to convince the scholarships board that you're the type of person that really wants to be an aerobatics instructor. Again, uh, your age doesn't matter. Uh, you don't. There is no age limit on a flight instructor. So that really, uh, that's not an issue at all. As far as your age and the, some of the scholarships, we have that new section scholarships for adults I talked about, and. 
Again, a lot of these scholarships for adults are, are industry-specific, organizational-specific. Some require you to be a member of those organizations, and some of them will just give you a scholarship as long as you have an interest in what, what it is they're trying to promote as far as like being a flight instructor. I know there's one out there that uh, they really want to promote somebody that has a, really wants to be an aerobatic instructor, so they want to promote that individual uh, that has had a little bit or a limited amount of aerobatic instructing. Many times you'll find, it's interesting, that some of these, the sponsors of these scholarships are ones that are actual manufacturers or they're companies that create or have services in aviation, many times focused around the whole, you know, flying aerobatics, etc. cetera. Um, so really, I think that's something you should look at as far as, um, you know, getting into scholarships. So back up, let's back up now to what you need to do and get your CFI and your private pilot, your IFR. There are definitely scholarships out there. I know it's, it's, it was more difficult 10 years ago to get these type of scholarships. People are starting to realize, especially the industry-specific scholarships and industry organizations like NBAA and AOPA, EAA, they're all realizing that they're, it's, it's beneficial to grow this community in all age groups, not just the community amongst the, the high school and the college students, although those are incredibly important to our industry in getting more, because that's how the industry grows. We get a lot of these young folks in, but the industry also grows with people that are a little older and past the uh, high school, college education and all level and age range because of the fact that they have so many more, many more years to be involved in aviation. And many times you see it's, it's a lot of people that are a little more seasoned like myself that can afford to go out and buy an airplane or, and do those type of things. And that's what they're trying to promote is those people in that industry and a rising tide, you know, obviously floats all boats. And I think that they're understanding that great, great question though, about that. There are scholarships out there and I highly encourage you to go out there and check out those scholarships. Well, folks, that's the uh, end of the questions. We do have some more coming in. Feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Of course, go to aviationcareerspodcast.com to actually hit the contact page. And I encourage you to go out to that search function I was talking about. Maybe I should put it up towards the top. It's on the right-hand side of the page. And, and, and put in your question in that search. If it doesn't come up, then you know ask the question. Or maybe your question is even more specific than the answer that I gave in one of my episodes. And like I said, in iTunes, we put out uh, the feed now has all the podcasts that are out there in iTunes. Uh, well, not just iTunes, and all your podcatchers. I keep saying iTunes, uh, but in all the podcatchers out there. The reason I say iTunes, by the way, because that's where most people download these from. Uh, that and their, you know, their iPads, interestingly enough. Um, and I really appreciate what everybody's uh, been doing here as far as the you know, the podcast and writing in some of your inspirational stories. That is something that's really important during this time. So if you have something, if you have a story, you want to be on the show and talk about your inspirational story, I would really, really encourage you to come on the show. For those that are airline pilots right now wondering, you know, what is it I can do and how I can make extra money uh, during this downturn? It's real simple, some of those things that I talked about here in the podcast. Uh, but the most important thing that I think everybody should do, no matter who you are and no matter where you are in your career, is don't stop here. Do not stop. Do not remember this is your career. Just because there's a downturn right now as I'm recording this doesn't mean that it's not going to come back five, ten years from now. If you're listening to this five, ten years from now, you're probably thinking, gee, uh, I'm glad I heeded that advice or or maybe I should have, but don't get, don't stop your training. Keep moving forward. Be a little more cautious, obviously, 
because of the money situation, et cetera, right now. But make sure when you stop this podcast, when you stop jogging, riding your bicycle, riding in the car, or if you're sitting there on your deck looking all over, over your pool or at the beach, when you stop this podcast, I want you to do something. I want you to take action. I want you to do something right now, right after you hit stop, to move forward in your career. It could be something simple as calling a friend, writing down a note, up, you know, looking up something on the internet, clicking on Aviation Careers Podcast on some of the links that are on here, research the Air, Air Race Classic, but I want you to do something today to move forward in your career. Well, folks, safe flying out there. We'll talk to you next episode. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.